What's going on, guys? Welcome back uh, to a very special episode of the Armistice Gaming Podcast. This is the Frack and Cag sitting here with Trevbot, uh, classic duo, back at it again. Uh, yeah, so what's going on, Trev? Uh, not a whole lot. Just uh, real excited about this episode. Uh, last few weeks, you and I have talked uh, off the record, True. but on the record, we haven't really talked about the cool shit that's coming out, like the Switch or Prey. Uh, we've talked a little bit about Andromeda, but there's some shit to talk about. Lots of cool shit, man. Lots of cool shit. Yeah. So I I talked about the Switch uh, with a few of my buddies, uh, didn't get your input on it, and um, wanted to hear what you thought. Oh, it's, it's about time. It's about time that we get to talk about this. There were some things left out of that conversation that I want to touch on. And I know your buddies are big Nintendo guys, and that's you know, nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But these things need to be talked about. Oh, absolutely. It, I, I just thought, like, for, I think I said this on the episode that, like, I just don't feel like I'm a suitable voice for Nintendo because I um, I haven't had a Nintendo system since the fucking GameCube. The GameCube. Like, Same for me. Like, goddamn Double Dash. Double like Dash, that, dude. I know. Like, that's where it was. But, like, I had to bring someone else on. Though I say that, uh, I, I did have a reaction to the conference that Nintendo gave. And um, I have gotten that edited and will be putting that up on ArmisticeGaming.com within the next few days. So be on the lookout for that. I will be blowing up all of our social media outlets on that. So uh, check that out. But uh, what are the things that we missed? What are the things that are uh, just uh, gnawing away at your noggin, Blake? Gnawing away. Dude, okay, so the biggest thing for me is the whole online and matchmaking and party system being run through a smartphone app. Yeah, that's weird. Like, it is. Nintendo's creating a peripheral out of your own smartphone, but that's just something else that you, I don't know, it's like you have to keep your phone charged, you know? How fast is that going to drain your battery, you know? I feel like... Just having it on constantly running, like you think about a Skype call yeah. or something, it's going to run your battery down real fast. This is going to be the same situation, I feel. Yeah, well, there, there's a complete difference between there being a companion app for a game such as Battlefield or Destiny and the whole fucking multiplayer being ran on that on that app like that that's comparing apples and oranges so like uh totally i feel like with them uh trying to get put, get their foot in and you know uh, jump into the mobile market with uh super mario run and fire emblem coming out on february 2nd they're just like kind of doubling down on, on that bet and uh it's gonna be interesting to see how they do it i'm not excited about their paid service i think they're trying to innovate something that doesn't need to be innovated, you know, like don't invent the wheel again. Like PSN and XBLA have already perfected it. Yeah, I agree. So what you like steal that base model, like take that base model and put your own tweak on it. But I, I no, no, they, they went a step too far. And why do you keep putting the A on the end of XBL? It's there's the XBLA doesn't even exist anymore. Oh no, <laughs> no, <laughs> Dude, it's because I'm a PlayStation head. I don't know that shit anymore. <laughs> it's bothering me, so thought I'd bring it up. <laughs> no arcade. Well, I, 
Hey, no, I, I'm, I'm glad that you say something because uh, I, I don't want to continue in my error. <laughs> so, so gracious. <laughs> well, it, it's funny that you bring that up because it, I had a job interview today that went well. Uh, that this has nothing to do with games, but uh, um, so you can, <laughs> if, if you don't want to hear anything about my personal life, just plug your ears for about thirty seconds. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> They had asked me something about like uh, how I take criticism, and it's so, like you, I told them anyone can do anything for any set amount of time, and you're always gonna learn something new. Like Jimi Hendrix, uh, even though he was a guitar god, like I'm sure there was still a lot of stuff that like he could have perfected better, right? Or like stuff that he could have learned. Yeah. And uh, and for anyone to think that they just know everything about any like topic no matter how long you've done it like people say that if you spent 10,000 hours on a task that you've mastered it yeah like there's still there's still more stuff to do past that mastering like there you're always going to be learning new stuff and uh and I mean that that was something that I've learned with doing this podcast with the interview that we have coming up is um you know there are curveballs that are thrown and you just got to roll with the flow and, yep. you know, you're going to learn uh, new ways to do stuff and build that on top of what you already did to give the best product that you can. So anyways, long-winded way to say thank you for correcting me. So, life lessons with Trevor. <laughs> <Ba-da-ba-ba-ba>. <laughs> A new segment <laughs> coming to the Armistice Gaming Podcast. <laughs> I feel like that's like some kind of written in like gossip column like, uh, ask Trevor, ask Trevbot. Ask, ask Trevbot, go yeah. on. We could do that. I bet. I bet people would be into that. Yeah. So if you have uh, any uh, questions that you want to hear nonsensical answers that I'm not going to know jack shit about, then yeah, uh, give give me a question. I'll, I'll try my best. <laughs> this is Doctor Fraser Crane. I'm listening. <laughs> so okay, we gotta we gotta move on, man. We got a lot of news to talk about before when this interview hits. Fucking tangents. We are Dude, the worst at that. Well, it's uh, all right. We got as long as you bring it back around, right? So let, before we jump back into the news, was yeah, there anything else about the switch you wanted to throw out there? Um, you know, I'm going to save them. Okay. I'm going to keep them in my pocket. I'm going to see how it yeah. plays out for a little bit. And if I feel like there are problems down the line here, like right at launch, yeah. then we'll talk about well, it again. But I'm Okay, done that's right. fair. I'm done I, right I think that that'd be good to, you know, keep that conversation. Uh, so then uh, when we do have the episode about the switch, uh, we can come come out swinging with that. I know that Keegan uh, pre-ordered one. And uh, my buddy David that I had on the show pre-ordered one. So uh, we'll, we'll have some hands-on experience with it. So don't you worry your pretty little heads. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, let's jump into the news. Um, All right, Xbox man. is uh, going to be having a, a full 2017. Uh, what, what's going on with that? So little just Xbox update in general. Uh, people have been really bummed about uh, the scale-bound uh, cancellation which I'm not sure if we've mentioned that yet or not. I'm not super disappointed about it. Um, when it comes down to it, I think uh, people need to dig a little deeper into that and just yeah. stop blaming Microsoft. You know, that's that's a very superficial judgment. They need to do a little yeah. bit of research. So that's something that, uh, you know, I guess could be like a accidental foreshadow of the interview is that me and uh, the guests talk about that. 
about, you know, how people are putting their lives into this and it's easy for us to get up in arms, but like, you know, it's just, it's even more of a bummer for them than it is for us because this is something that they've been working on for a long time. Right. Right. Yeah. Nobody's happy about it. Um, but just dig down and try and find the, the real reason behind it all is all I'm saying. Yeah, ha- have that uh, empathy for the developer. It's it's not just about the product. It's about them putting their lives and their aspirations into this. So cut them some slack. Yep, totally. The Scorpio is coming out this year, this fall, still, supposedly. Um, I'm sure we'll see an E3 reveal. But until then, I've got little tidbits uh, that... Seem to check out. I don't want to report on rumors, um, you know, saying they're official or anything, but according to the developer of Ori and the Blind Forest, um, the Scorpio is going to be a full-on next-generation console. It is Hmm. not going to be an iteration console like the PlayStation 4 Pro. So I, I take that as somewhat legitimate. I mean, he's one of the main guys at that studio, so... I mean, I don't take that lightly. And even like Frank O'Connor from 343 Industries has said that the Scorpio is beefier than he even thought it was going to be. Wow. So, I mean, that's an indication that this thing is going to be pretty powerful. And I think going the next-gen route is actually pretty intelligent. Um, I don't think the PS4 Pro was a big enough leap, necessarily, to make it worth the extra cost. And really, I think it's going to set Sony back just a little bit because um, they really, I mean, as much as they want to, are going to want to release a next-gen console to go up against the Scorpio, they need to give the PS4 Pro some kind of life cycle or the consumer's going to feel like they've been cheated, you know? Yeah. So, I don't know, just kind of interesting. I'm looking forward to it. Definitely looking forward to E3 this year. Um, hoping Microsoft drops some pretty awesome game announcements because our lineup is taking some hits, like, recently. Especially yeah. since this isn't a Halo or... Uh, Gears of War year. <laughs> well, and that's what comes down for me is that I am a PlayStation head, and we we've, we've discussed that. But like right now, I feel like Sony has the edge on at least exclusives with uh, Spider-Man PS4 and God of War coming out. Like Horizon, I can't Horizon, wait for Horizon. Like, extra specs are cool, but like you you need to back it up with a good quality software for me to not jump the bandwagon. Definitely, that's half the package, you know. Bethesda came out today saying uh, that Prey is gonna be getting a release on May fifth. May fifth. I thought that was a crazy uh, time to announce it because there's just like a lot of shit coming out during that time because the the Switch debuts on the third with uh the Zelda Breath of the Wild, and then later that month, we got Mass Effect Andromeda. Previous to that, we got Horizon Zero Dawn coming out in late February. Is that too much of a game overload? I mean, for the PlayStation gamer, yeah, you're you're trying to pick between these three games. I mean, when it, when it comes down to it, really, we want to own them all, but nobody's got the time. Oh, absolutely. So you're going to be making, like, you're going to be making a decision. You're going to be prioritizing. And I think Mass Effect is just going to take it for most people. Yeah, I'm intrigued about Prey, but it's probably going to be a later year game for me where, you know, it's gone down to maybe 30 bones. Right, I agree. And after, I, after I'm after i post-Mass Effect, which is going to be a while with how expansive that they're boasting that this game is going to be, I don't know. I Part of me thinks that this is going to be a Titanfall 2 situation, mm-hmm. and I really hope that that's not the case. 
But, like, with Titanfall 2, it was caught between Battlefield and Call of Duty. Though those are, like, the same genre, they are three giant AAA games in the same way that, like, all these other games are giant AAA games. And, you're like you said, even if you have all that money to buy all that shit, which a lot of people won't, you still have to dedicate your time to whichever game you want to spend the most time on because, you know, a large majority of those, like, Horizon Zero Dawn is boasting to be like kind of rpg long and mass effect is a huge fucking rpg yeah so you know you gotta jump back and forth but i mean maybe it'd be like a good reprieve from those games in in the way that like right now i'm uh, going through the skyrim remaster again and uh, i've been playing doom on the side as kind of like a small uh vacation from uh me becoming a super fucking badass vampire lord <laughs> oh i have side news real quick Okay, sad news. sad news! So, side news. There is a new rumor that um, the Star Wars game that Visceral is making is an RPG similar to Skyrim. Oh. Can you imagine? Get, take all my money. Take all my money. I know. <laughs> like, oh my god. I can't even. Okay. But that's that's all I got on that. It's just a rumor. I just hope it's true. <laughs> yeah. For time's sake, let's uh, press on. Um, in other news, new Andromeda trailer just came out. Uh, at this point, we have not seen it because due to the time of recording this, it is not out yet. But by the time you hear this episode, it will be out. It will be one of the, one of the uh, best things about this week. So I'm um, very excited about that. Um, ready to jump into that expansive world. There, There's few games like Andromeda and Skyrim that suck me in. I know. Uh, with the stuff that they do and the gravitas of the game that they have. And so I am thrilled beyond words. So let's uh, let's keep it rolling. Okay. Let's talk about uh, this news with Dan Harmon and Rick and Morty. You know more about it than I do. Yeah, so we've been waiting quite a while since uh, the giant cliffhanger that was uh, Rick and Morty season finale of season two. Yeah. And um, it, it's been since the end of 2015, so it's been quite a while. Dang, it has. The story that um, I read on this was from Polygon. They they talk a little bit about how, like, you know, that's, that's kind of becoming the norm for some shows because there are shows like Fargo that, due to the writing and then, like, uh, you know, one of the themes of that is that it's typically during the winter season, so they have to wait to film during that specific time of the year. Right. So it's very, very snowy. Yeah, and so, like, they're, they're just specific time constraints. But in, in the case of Rick and Morty and my boy Dan Harmon, uh, the reason it's taking so long is because him and other co-creator Justin Roiland um, have been fighting about where they're going. And uh, to quote Dan, he said, we have fights all the time, and then we have fights about why we're having fights <laughs> and that can be disappointing that it's like i want rick and morty now but i i think that 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 just proves how much thought that they're putting into this and that we're just gonna get like one hell of a season three right if they're that they're both that passionate about it yeah you know and uh, another thing that he said was we respect and terrify each other and always want to make the other happy and so it's going to be a little bit longer. I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. We just got to bide our time a little bit more. But it's going to be awesome uh, just as pretty much anything Dan Harmon does. Um, everyone knows about our huge Dan Harmon boners here. Oh, love Dan Harmon. That dude, he's so funny. 
He is just so funny. There's nothing new about that. But lastly, let's jump on the last piece of news. We're going to have to keep this short because uh, yep. we got to jump into the, the meat and the potatoes of this episode. But they came out the other day saying uh, the subtext for Episode Eight, The Last of the Jedi. The Last Jedi. What do you Dude. think? What, what was your reaction? I think my reaction was the same as most people. Is it singular or is it plural? <laughs> like, is it are there multiple like Last Jedi? Like yeah. that I think that's been everybody's big like question. Um, like what is it actually referring to? Is Luke the Last Jedi? Is Rey the Last Jedi? Is Luke gonna meet some kind of Han Solo end? Oh, uh, which I I sure hope not. Yeah, I hope not. Too. But I mean. It, even if that did happen, we have the hopes of him coming back as a Force ghost. Obi-Wan style. Obi-Wan style, straight up. Mark Hamill is the only uh, certified actor on Episode Nine yet. So, I mean, take that for what you will. Yeah. I have a couple thoughts on this. It does say in the opening crawl of Episode Seven that Luke Skywalker is the last Jedi. That is how he is referred to. So, I think that may there may... I mean, I don't know. Maybe read into that a little bit and see if that was intentional. Also, in Return of the Jedi, when Yoda passes away, he says that once he's gone, Luke will be the last Jedi. So, like, it's it's taking stuff from not only that crawl, but, you know, also a line from Yoda. Yeah. So, like, I, I think oh, there's some people that are reading too much into it, and we just got to wait and see what happens. Oh, for sure, for sure. We'll see a trailer soon enough. But I do have another interesting tidbit about Episode 8. That So, I don't know, you've probably seen this too. People have been referring to the creatures that Luke has been living with on the island. Mm-hmm. And they're similar to, like, birds, like they fly around. And you can actually see them in the closing of Episode 7 when Ray's scaling the side of the cliff. Um these bird creatures are flying around her. Yeah. So you can totally see these things in the ending um, of episode seven. But I noticed today... Um, okay, so nobody... Okay, let's just scoot back a little bit. Nobody knows what they look like exactly, but there's been concept art of them where they're kind of like an owl almost, but with like a lizard-like tail that curls up like a chameleon. Um, really interesting looking. One of those creatures was in Star Wars Rebels today that I was watching. Oh, yeah. I had read about that in an interview with uh, Dave Filoni, who is uh, the main creative director for, like, Clone Wars and Rebels. Yeah. Love that guy. What's really interesting about those creatures and them, and with Dave trying to give it a different name, is that, like, the the series of books that uh, precedes uh, the Thrawn trilogy and the extended universe— Um, that's like Vision of the Past and uh, Spectre of the Future, uh-huh. or strike that, reverse it, Spectre of the Future, or <laughs> Spectre of the Past, <laughs> Vision of the Future, and um, there, there's these creatures that uh, are on this planet that Mara gets stuck in, they're called the Kumquay and the Kumquamja, mm-hmm. and um, they are Force-sensitive creatures to where like only Jedi can understand what they say. I bet you, and oh, dude, so, I bet you that's what it is. <laughs> and so like it, it's it's interesting to see like basically like a rehash of that, just given a different name because uh, like Kylo Ren Ben Solo is just a new interpretation of Jason Solo, who becomes Darth Cadus uh, in the extended right. universe. 
So uh, it, it's interesting to see them like bring stuff back into the the new canon. Totally, man. And uh, that's just my theory. So uh, take that for what you will. We're gonna have to see what happens in episode eight. True, true, true. Can I throw in just one last little Star Wars bit before we swap it over here? Yep, throw um, it in there. I am super happy that they just canonized the Jedi Civil War and the Mandalorian Wars. And oh, Revan, with the fucking dark saber. With the dark saber. Yes, dude. Yes. Yeah. So super happy about that because I love Revan and that whole like timeline and event in the Star Wars universe, super cool stuff. Yeah, so hopefully that, I mean, they, they didn't, like, say Revan specifically, but, I mean, you, you got to just kind of throw that in there. Revan being um, one of the characters that you're introduced to through uh, the uh, legendary old Star Wars game, Knights of the Old Republic, also famously known as KOTOR. It is available on uh, pretty much everything uh, to the point that it is on iOS and Android now. I am playing it on my iPhone <laughs> at, like as as we speak uh well not not literally not literally but like i'm playing it right now so like jump on that and there's just a lot of uh eu stuff that uh that is just great that you need to glean from and then there's also a lot of shit too so just be uh picky like <laughs> be, be picky. very selective yes i think dude i think revan is canonized because he's in the old republic and the old republic is canon yeah so then that that would make it they have a whole expansion centered around them. I actually watched like a whole bunch of cinematics from it today. <laughs> yeah, I if they do if they keep doing these standalone things, they need to do an old Republic game or old Republic film with Revan. Oh, that would be the best. That's all I want now. You heard it from you heard it from us, Disney. Get on it. <laughs> get on that and then also uh the obi-wan trilogy and if you need a young obi-wan i got you Trevor's got you he's ready to jump in the <laughs> ring all right so we want to switch it over here uh we got something real special coming up yep so right now you are about to listen to the premiere interview for armistice gaming with Alex Preston, the creator of one of 2016 indie hits, Hyperlight Drifter. His company is called Heart Machine, and he just came in with a lot of good information, and we just had a fantastic conversation. I'm excited for you to hear it, and here it is. Hello, Armistice Gamers. Welcome to yet another episode of Armistice Gaming Podcast. Today, we have the pleasure of having Alex Preston on the show. He is the creator of Hyperlight Drifter. And uh, Alex, are you the, the head of Heart Machine? That is that is correct. All right, great. Uh, could you give us a little rundown about uh, what Hyperlight Drifter is, what Heart Machine's all about? I don't want to butcher uh, whatever you guys have going on there, but I just want to say that it's one of my favorite games of 2016, so uh, it's an absolute pleasure to have you with us. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate it. I, uh, I don't know. Uh, Heart Machine, we make video games. Um, we're trying to make games that uh, have some something to say, something personal and have an artistic vision behind them. And uh, with Hyperlight, we uh, we spent a few years making it, and it's a 2D, like, overhead action RPG kind of thing. Uh, you can think about kind of a Zelda is, is one of the better comparisons I can give you. 
Um, but it's it's pretty hard and much different in many ways. But yeah, it's a it's a good it's a good time if you're if you're into uh, pixel art and you're into atmosphere building and you're into uh, you know a lot of really great tracks from Disaster Piece. Yeah, it all fits together great. Um, whenever I was telling everyone um, about the game when I was playing it, I kept saying uh, the Zelda aspect as well. But I kept saying is like it with the whole like neon pixel art direction to it. I kept saying is like, yeah, it's kind of like uh, Zelda, but like if you're like tripping on acid for a second. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, yeah, great. Uh, I love the game. Uh, had a ton of fun with it. Um, I really like the direction that you guys went with not laying out the story for everyone, but just, you know, letting everyone getting uh, whatever they perceive from the game due to the cinematics or what you were doing throughout the game. Yeah, that was a that was a big challenge for us, having uh, no text and no language, really no words to express a lot of these uh, story points and, you know, what the characters are thinking and feeling um, and even some of the NPCs as well, because they have... They just have visual frames that uh, express those thoughts, and it was a it was a huge challenge throughout the production. Oh, I bet. Um, there's a lot of games that if they did that, uh, it would turn me off. But with uh, what what you guys were doing, it just kept intriguing me and drawing me in more and more as I was playing. Um, you know, I play a lot of AAA games, and this year was a lot of indie games for me with you guys, and then like Firewatch just kept uh, getting drawn in and like I couldn't stop thinking about the game and when when you're playing a game like that that like just keeps your mind going on it even when you're not playing um, that that's a rare feat I think these days I think yeah it's it's that's good I'm glad glad you felt that way let's jump into um, I always like to hear how people got into gaming um, it's always kind of a different story um either they you know saw their parents playing or older brother or what have you um what is your story and what drew you into the love of video games um my story i i don't know i grew up loving video games it's pretty easy to love video games you know absolutely (laughs) if you're if you're a kid and like got this whole new series of worlds to explore every time you load up a game it's like it's magical and so it's again it's it's not something that's that's hard to to uh to dislike especially right off the bat it's like um watching my brother play uh, when i was too young to really get into games and be any good at them mm-hmm. uh is kind of how it started out it was like oh that's fascinating i love that stuff it's great I want to I want to see him go further, and uh, sometimes I'd participate in, like in Bubble Bobble or Ice Climbers or whatever. But um, I would still do very badly, um, and <laughs> he would always have to carry me. But then, as I got older and was able to actually play games myself, you know, that kind of love for games only grew. And you know, video games or not, like whether it's board games or card games or anything, it's uh, I think a lot of it has to do with interesting systems that people come up with and the worlds that they build around them. Um, and so some games are purely just systems, you know, like some card games, um, some board games, like it's all about the systems and whether they're engaging or challenging or, you know, frustrating or make other people frustrated or it's like a group mentality because it's a multiplayer board game or card game or something like that. And the games that I love the most are the ones that have really engaging systems and mechanics along with some beautiful world building. 
And so I think early on, one of the, one of the games that really pulled me in as a younger, I mean, I don't even know how old I was, but it was uh, Super Metroid, the first time I played that game, really, really struck me. I'd played plenty of great games before that, but there was something about the world that they built and the atmosphere that they achieved with that game, with the music, with the sound effects, with like the lack of text or anything, like you having to find your way in this big, huge labyrinth. There are a lot of things that came together in that game for me that clicked and I was like, holy shit, games can be this? That's that's incredible. Like I just, I felt so much. I felt very alone, but so many other emotions and feelings while I was exploring that world um, that I hadn't necessarily with other games. Like again, loved plenty of other games before that, but there was something about how they built that world on top of really solid mechanics and the atmosphere that I had never seen in a game before that all came together and was like, oh man, games. It's like, this is, this is it, man. These games are the thing. Like I'm, I don't, movies can't even compare. Books are great and all, but you know, there's something about games that are just it's like so fantastic and so above and beyond anything else that I have for entertainment and even beyond entertainment, like for artistic reasons too. And that was that was back before anybody was really recognizing games as as art because it's such a new industry, you know. And so there's still plenty of people today who don't consider games as art, which is ridiculous. But for me, it was pretty easy to recognize that early on, especially with Metroid, and just be like, Jesus, yeah, this is this is crazy. The, the the artistic vision that they're able to achieve here is incredible. So, absolutely, uh, I I like how um, you were talking about uh, Super Metroid, and it made me think of um, uh, games like that, and even your game where you feel like um, mm. you are the player, you are the character in the game. You're not being laid out on this linear story that's taking you through through someone else's eyes. Um, you're feeling those emotions and those actions um, through the game. And I think that that is something, like you said, that stands apart from film and books. One of the, the games that, um, that I was huge about when I was a kid was uh, Curse of Monkey Island. I was huge into those quick and point LucasArts adventure games. And mm. those are great. But again, like you're seeing it through that character's eyes. You're taken through this whole linear progression of the story and you may have a few choices here or there, but um, in a game like Super Metroid, you're able to, you know, dissect the different visuals that you're seeing, um, the sound, the music, all that coming together for like one awesome art piece. Um, so, uh, right. yeah, I, I really like that. Yeah, they, they allow room for interpretation there. And, and you know, even the point and click stuff, I, I enjoyed plenty of those but the one thing that always got me with them that i hated about it was like it was basically programmer logic when it came to the puzzles and like the items that you're getting where it's like pick this up to then throw it in the microwave to then get this item and then it's like no one would ever know that or do that and you're only doing this because you said i should and it feels like the worst way to lead a character by or lead a player by the hand and there was not a lot of player expression in many of those games like great stories and great animation and cool stuff happening you know I, I enjoy them for very different reasons but i think for me like player expression in a game is really important for the games that i want to make absolutely so uh, throughout the years, we've had a lot of good games, but um, I think 2016 has been a really good year for games. 
Um, so uh, what is one game from 2016 that, um, aside from like your own work, that uh, kind of blew your mind and was like the pinnacle of what you played? Um, in 2016, I don't know. Nothing really blew my mind. You know, there's plenty of stuff okay. that's been fantastic. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, I've played a lot of Overwatch. Okay. Um, over the past, well, since it came out in the summer uh, of last year or whenever it was. But it didn't blow my mind. It's like, no. wow, this game is really polished. And the world they're building is great. And the characters, while super stupid in many ways with bad dialogue, <laughs> I, I find them endearing now. And it's like I've built, a, you know, friendships with people through Overwatch. Like, there's a lot to love about that game. Um, and then kind of on the opposite end of that is something like, Insider Firewatch, where they're telling very specific and linear stories, and you know, they're not multiplayer at all, they're single player and heavy on the atmosphere building, and the tone is very specific, and it's great. It's like it's like reading a, a more interactive book, uh, which is, is something that again, like books and movies can't really achieve. So it's it's another way to approach the game's design, and you see like that's very successful and very inspiring in many ways. I don't know what else was super good. There's so many good things, but Doom was really great just because I and many other people didn't expect it to be anywhere near as good as it was. Oh, absolutely! Because of all the stories you'd heard about delays and completely redoing the game, and you know, who the fuck would expect Doom in 2016 to be relevant again, but somehow they they made it happen, and actually the story was pretty damn good in it, too. Like, you actually read the logs, and the characters are interesting, and you know, like, it, it, it had a lot of heart and some, like, powerful uh, character expression in it itself, and player expression, too. Like, you were able to approach these combat scenarios and kind of whatever way you wanted to and the main character doom guy was one of the more expressive characters in games last year and all he did was like punch shit um but through those punches and those those angry reactions that he had and little little blips of cutscenes they laid throughout like he expressed a lot in those in those few little quirky moments um so yeah that, that game I guess that game was as close to as, uh, blowing me away as any game came last year, just just by the fact that like I did not expect much of anything from it. Yeah, great. Uh, I'm playing through that right now, and I, I'm in the same boat. I didn't expect anything through it when everyone was saying that they were going to the old school um, themes and uh, game mechanics that they had through um, not having regeneration at all, but like picking up shield parts or like health packs and getting um, the key cards. Didn't think I missed that right. until I played it again. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I think... Well, that... well e even in, like, the first, you know, like, 15 minutes of playing, I was like, oh, okay, this is... It looks beautiful and it plays well, but, like, oh, key cards, ugh, and I groan. Yeah. And then, like, oh, shield parts, groan. But then playing it more and more, I'm like, oh, actually, this game's pretty good, and it's a lot of... Whoa, okay. And it's actually... Key cards are totally fine, so you know, yeah, it, it took me took me maybe like thirty minutes to warm up to it, and then once it is like, all right, I'm I'm in, I'm in, man, I'm in. Yeah, it it like the visuals are great. Um, I didn't 
didn't think that I would like the whole key card thing, but, uh, you know, that brought me back. I think that a lot of the first-person shooters that come out now are um, sometimes a little too easy with, um, you know, having um, the direct, like, you need to go here, which, I mean, they, I guess they have that a little bit, but uh, or um, having, like, the, the health regeneration, like, having to, like, be backed against the wall and, like, your health is down and you need to get through this hallway of uh, demons uh was kind of intriguing to, for me to go back to um right it, it was kind of interesting to see all these people gush about the game because uh, i hadn't played it until now and i was like oh well i'm glad everyone is saying great things about it because i was kind of nervous but um you know it's it's tearing it up let's let's get back to your work um what kind of influences um within games other than like zelda were you looking at um for Hyper Light Drifter. Well, I mean, I talked a lot about Super Metroid, um, so that's a that's a pretty obvious one. Um, I, I mean, I pull from a lot of things. It's not just like one source that I'm like, yeah, that's oh, great. Absolutely. Let's use all that. Um, and it's not just games either. But you know, like I've I've played a lot of the Souls series, and that's pretty inspiring to see like people actually enjoy challenging games these days. Um, where you know, there's a big trend for a decade where games were getting easier and easier. Um, and nobody, nobody really cared too much about the challenge of things. And then souls comes along and it's like, Oh, actually to fuck you if you can't play this. And it's like, yeah, all right, that's cool. And people embrace that. And it's good to see hard games, a hard game series like that be so successful and a whole community, a big community, you know, warm up to it and, and really, really, um, love it. You can definitely see the souls, uh, through that, um, especially with uh, your guys' boss battles. Um, I wasn't expecting the first battle to be as hard as it was. And then, uh, you know, I was stuck on it for a little bit. But then, like, once you succumb that boss, you're like, fuck yeah, dude. And yeah. Uh, it, it's just kind of funny because I was playing that alongside my roommate, who was playing Dark Souls 3 at the time. And there's, like, this giant fucking tree that he was trying to fight and it took him like four and a half days and he kept spending like four hours <laughs> each, each time he's playing it but um there's something about that satisfaction of the difficulty that once you succumb that after you've been stuck for so so long that it's just like fuck you game like i i beat yeah. you and like he just he's a very low-key guy and like he just like was blowing up it was like cussing out the tv and stuff it was hilarious yeah, there's a sense of achievement after like grinding through this this boss a dozen times or a hundred times or however long it takes. And I get it. That's not for everybody. And I've certainly had people tell me like, "Hey, fuck you. Your game's too hard." And hey, man, cool. Don't don't play the game then. I'm sorry. If you if you don't like it, that's your jam. This is what the game is. And we do actually have like a an intro mode for for players who do find it a little harder. Um, so, you know, we, we have some leniency there now. We didn't, when we first started, we're like, no, this is difficulty, but you know, we had enough people say like, Hey, your game's really hard. I really want to play it cause it's pretty and I like it. And, you know, I think souls get, gets away with a lot of its difficulty because it's such a like gritty, grim, dark world. And it, like, it looks mean. Um, whereas our game has, you know, luscious colors and, uh, a pixel art kind of cartoony style and, it's more inviting, and so people don't quite expect it to be um, a challenging game. But that's that's a, at its core, like there's you know a huge reason why we do that, and that feeds into the story and like the theme of struggle through it. So 
it's not just for the sake of being mean to the player or whatever. It's it's to bolster what we're trying to, to tell the player and the, the story we're trying to convey to them and the feelings and the emotions that we're trying to capture and have the players themselves, um, you know, experience. Yeah. Uh, for anyone that, you know, is getting to the point where they're saying like, fuck you, that's too hard. Then, you know, I don't, at this point, I don't know why you're in, into games. I mean, I guess we're at an easier point of games where we don't have to really deal with that. But, um, but there, again, there's that satisfaction that like, you know, as I, succumb each boss and uh was trying to figure out um the different areas that you guys had the um like i i don't want to call them keys but like the little like polygon things that you would find so then you could open the portal to get to the next um sure. there's that satisfaction of i i've been stuck on this but i i've come i've made it to this point and i can continue on further and i i really admire that in in this game because I, I don't think anyone sees that um very much anymore but uh outside of games uh like what what kind of influences um did did you guys have because you said that uh that, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes into the game that, you know, isn't just games or mechanics or whatever. But, like, you know, what books, what film, maybe music, life experiences, what were the driving forces that uh, pushed into the game? Sure. I mean, the biggest driving force was my own uh, health situation. And, you know, I have a heart condition, congenital, congenital heart condition, meaning I was born with it and had to deal with it my whole life. I have a lot of health problems been disabled at certain points and so it's it's uh it's been a pretty rough road for me personally and that's a, a big that feeds in to the story and the characters and again the motivations of this world and why it's even being built or told outside of that you know it's like i loved a lot of old anime in the 80s and 90s and i draw some a lot of inspiration from that stuff and then Films like there's there's plenty of films and well shot films, but I I lean mostly on on the cartoons for for this because you know I think one of the things that we really like to do um, or that you know we talk about here our machine is kind of like anime the fuck out of it um, <laughs> where it's you know you can do things in games that you can't do in real life and you can exaggerate and you can make a you know a badass ninja character, do some crazy flips that you yourself would never be able to do. And for a person like me who uh, is limited physically um, in, in certain ways, um, games are a great escape and a great way to do things that I wouldn't otherwise be able to do. And I think for people in general where it's like, hey, man, maybe we'll, we, in our lifetimes we'll not be able to explore space. Um, maybe it's like a couple generations after ours that finally we can do some interstellar travel or whatever. But Right now in video games, we have the chance to, you know, at least envision what that would be like and experience it in some capacity, like an inkling of that. And that's that's incredible that we have those experiences available to us, even in this relatively limited capacity. So, you know, I, I think for games, like using them as ways of expressing things that we otherwise wouldn't be able to experience, like unique new things that are like, shit, that's cool. I like surreal stuff, dreamscapes, you know, all these kinds of uh, ways of thinking and being that just can't exist in reality for any number of reasons for any number of people. Like that's the, that's the cool shit that I like about video games more than anything. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had watched that documentary um, about you guys. It was like a seven-minute video. I think it's done through Vice. And when I found out about um, your uh, your health condition, it, it brought a whole new layer to the game for me. Um, as I was playing through it, I could see, uh, like, when you... Uh, defeat a boss there's uh like something dripping from your chest there's that mechanical heart that you always see and um i i thought that you know it was some kind of allegory for something um back uh about five years ago uh my father had uh hodgkin's lymphoma cancer and um i i thought that it you know maybe it could be something like that but like it it was cool to see that you took that personal experience and, you know, made it uh, at least um, a, a, a subtle foundation of the game. And um, I thought that that brought a whole new layer to it and made it really personal for you, for sure. Um, hope you're doing well with that. And you know, I'm doing, doing the best I can. Yeah, good, good. And you guys uh, funded the game through Kickstarter. What was that like? Uh, Kickstarter was, it was a crazy adventure, you know, like I, I, uh, I, I was a nobody, you know, suddenly had this, this thing explode and people were interested in it. And, you know, I, I've, I had been a very private person about my own work, my own art and everything. And to suddenly have it, you know, exposed to the world in such a rapid and broad way was really, uh, different. And, you know, I, I had to grapple with that for a little bit, but I, I think it was uh, it was nice. It was a nice change. It was something that I was looking for to express myself. And that's what the game was about. And the fact that it then was able to hit so many people and I was able to, like, reach out to a lot of different people and really um, made it worthwhile. Not just like, oh, yeah, I made money. That's great. It's like it's about the emotional and creative satisfaction more than anything else. And I think one of the greatest things that came out of the Kickstarter and this project was the fact that so many strangers reached out and just emailed me or, you know, messaged me on the Kickstarter campaign or whatever else and, and still do every once in a while and tell me their story about, you know, what they've been dealing with, whether, whether, whether it's the same as me, like a congenital heart condition or, you know, they've had any number of other horrifying things happening in their lives that are just like debilitating things or um, other chronic illnesses that they, it's, it's hard to talk about, you know, it's hard to express to some of your closest friends at times, but maybe it's, maybe it's easier to reach out to a stranger or someone who is, you know, had some, shed some limelight on this stuff and at least get some solace that way. It's, it's a, it's a way to release some pain and some frustration and, and it's, it's an honor and it's flattering for me to be able to share in that stuff because I know how hard it can be to talk about that stuff and be open about it. And again, it's like, you know, it's really, um, I don't know. It's a lot of things. It's, uh, it's just, it's a bundle of emotions and complex feelings kind of coalescing when, when someone reaches out like that and I'm able to actually respond and, be like, yeah, I, I get it, and I'm glad and honored that you were able to express this to me as well. So there's there's this bond there that's hard to um, hard to fully verbalize, but it's 
It's a great thing, and it's one of my favorite things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think you did a great job verbalizing it. Um, but, yeah, that, that's cool. There, I mean, aside um, from just, you know, partner, partnering with, uh, you know, the financial side of it, there's there's that side of Kickstarter that, you know, everyone is kind of putting – putting their their money's worth into it and it's not just you know you're paying to get a product but like you're paying and investing in these people that are creating their games and sharing their life experiences through this and i i think that that is just really cool um through kickstarter um you hear all with all these horror stories of you know people who start kickstarters and uh then it either doesn't get fully funded or uh you know things go bad and so it's always really cool to see um, success stories and ones that even blow up. Because um, you guys originally just wanted like 30000 to uh, put it on like Mac, PC, and Linux, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was going to be a pretty small project. You know, it was a very personal thing. It was my first game. And, you know, it, it was going to be a couple of us and over the course of nine months or so. And that was about it. But, it, you know, it took a, it took a whole different turn for the better um and i was afforded the opportunity to do a lot of a lot of cool shit that i otherwise wouldn't have been able to if the community hadn't gotten behind it with the way that they did so you know can't thank people who backed us enough and continue to support us and we did our best to make something that people could be proud of backing because you know i've been i've been part of disappointing kickstarters or failed kickstarters i've backed stuff like that and it's it's sad but i i think the other thing that people got to realize is that Games are difficult to make, mm-hmm. really, really difficult to make, and um, I can't like I can't say that enough. Uh, and it's not always it's not always a scam. Oh, it's yeah. not always like you didn't try hard enough. It's 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 not always like you're an idiot or a dreamer. You got too big. It's like no, it's just it's hard. And there's a lot of variables that go into it. It's not simple. Mm-hmm. It's a complex series of problems, and. We're lucky we get half the games that we do these days. You know, we're lucky that we get the number of good games that we do these days because, you know, we have better tools and everything. But still, I think a lot of people don't realize that a shitload of games don't get made. Yeah. We just don't ever hear about it because the publisher quietly cancels it and it was never even announced in the first place. Like, there's more games that get canceled than actually get released. And it's just, it's the reality of the industry. And I think people are starting to see that exposed because, hey, now we're very public about, oh, I don't have any money. I need money. I don't want to go to publisher. I want to do this thing my way. And so, again, like a lot of these, sure, there's some shitty, scammy Kickstarters and other, you know, indie go-go's, whatever else. But I think a lot of it is just people that genuinely want to make the thing that they want to make. And it's not the easiest route because games are difficult to, to produce because it is it's a lot of different components coming together into something that's good. Good games are even harder to make. So you can be disappointed, you can be pissed off, and you have a right to be all any of those emotions that you're feeling. But at the end of the day, I think it's just important to realize that it's a more complex problem, and it's not, it's not a black and white thing of this guy fucked up, fuck him. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, it's a... It's a hard thing to make games, and I cannot understate that enough. And things sometimes just fail for a lot of reasons, and there's plenty of reasons why games can go can go wrong. Absolutely, and that that's something that you know I'm trying to for at least myself to um, 
not be skeptical of that and know that, you know, you guys are putting, you know, your, your entire life into this because, you know, there's the time, there's the finances, there's the different struggles, um, that, that go into it. And, uh, and to, I'm sure get that out is uh, a success within itself. Yeah. But, well, even, even a lot of, even a lot of games that do get released, like, you know, we always have our best of lists and like, I love this yeah. game. I love that game. And then we have our, ah, fuck that game list. And some of the games on the worst of the year list, you know, a lot of them, they had a lot of love put into them. There's, Absolutely. there's, there's plenty of garbage games out there. People that like just took assets from the unity store and shoved it together and put it on steam and tried to make a quick buck. And there's plenty of like shovelware, iOS and mobile games that are just like, yep, here's a clone of Flappy Bird for the seven millionth time. And here's a clone of Threes for the seven millionth time. And here's all the stuff from Ketchup. You just clone a bunch of other games. Um, it's like, yeah, all right. There's plenty of garbage out there. But there are those games. Like, you know, even look at, what was it, like Homefront last year, where, boy, that game had some fucking problems and it was it was not a good experience but there were real people working on that game and there were real people that wanted to make a good game and there was a ton of labor good solid work that went into that and some love that went into that too and as a person who's been behind the scenes now for a few years on making games like it's it's much harder for me to be angry and upset about a game and much easier to be understanding and say like, oh, this is a disappointment, but I'm not gonna yell about it on the internet. I'm gonna yeah. say, fuck you, developer, go die and go kill yourself. It's like, nah, man, these are real fucking people. Yeah. They have lives and they're trying to do something with them and they wanted to get into this industry. And I'm sure they're just as disappointed as you are when it comes out this way because of whatever reasons, like the publisher didn't give them the right amount of time because people left the project at a certain time because a director was bad because of you know any number of things why this game didn't come together. Again, because games are really hard to make, it's like, yeah, uh, I'm I'm much more forgiving and just way way. Bottom line is way more understanding of disappointing games. So you know, I'm, I don't think I ever want to put like a worst of the year list together because unless it is specifically about like shitty clone games and shovelware and you know like asset rip games and stuff like that, but things where it's just like, yeah, this game could have been way better but it wasn't because of a lot of big flaws that sucks and it's disappointing and it's sad for the people that made it and it's sad for the people that are playing it because they, they, everyone wanted it to be better. Yeah. Well, it, it's so easy to be that troll asshole that just sits behind the screen because you don't have to interact with the person personally. And, right. Uh, you know, being able to, I'm sure all those, or all, all those people like couldn't go up to that, that person and say, Hey, like that project that you put like three or four or five years into is fucking terrible. Fuck you. Right. Like no one's going to do that. And ah, yeah. well, you'd be surprised these days. Like yeah. some people would actually do that in person. Oh, but, but I think that, yeah, I think, you know, the important thing for people to realize is that there are genuine people behind Absolutely. all these games, even the really shitty, terrible ones. Like even, Stuff from Zynga. Like, I'm not a fan of Zynga because they have cloned indie games, which is super fucking shitty. It's like, oh, I'm a big giant mega company. I'm going to steal this game that, like, three people made and basically ruin their business because we're assholes. And 
the thing is, like, those are decisions made by the execs. Those are decisions made by a handful of people that are actual assholes. And then, you know, everyone else kind of has to make that game, whether they want to or not. And a lot of these people just wanted to be in the games industry. A lot of these people just wanted a good-paying job in the games industry, and they're doing their best, and this is what they could find. And, you know, they want to do well, too. And Or maybe they don't even know they're cloning a game, you know? It's like there's... There's a lot to it, and it's a complex issue when it comes to making video games. Any number of issues are complicated, and I think a lot of people try and reduce it down to like simple answers. And it's it's sometimes it's that simple, but I think that's more rare than it is a lot of gray area and a lot of nuance that people just need to be open to uh, talking about, to discussing, and and actually receiving and giving information in a way that's productive rather than just angry people and trolls on the internet and whatever else being like, rah, 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 this game sucks because of this and whatever. It's like, well, you know, maybe try and understand where the devs are coming from. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that, um, you know, with the ushering in of the internet age, we have that transparency, which is good. We're able to, uh, you know, make, to see what's going on on both sides, but at the same time, people get stuck in their own echo chambers and just listen to whatever bullshit, you know, that they're spewing. And so that makes it a little bit more difficult too. But yeah. uh, hopefully um, we can all just, you know, take a step back, just listen and uh, understand and see, you know, how people are doing stuff, what they're feeling, and uh, just see them as human beings and not just as some robot that's churning out a product. Yeah, exactly. I just I want to have good conversations about things and discussions and sure disagreements and arguments, but you know like it doesn't need to boil down into being a troll about something or being a total dick about something. It's like just having civil discourse. Like what happened to that, and what happened to understanding? What happened to you know just being a fucking human being to another human being? Yeah, it, it seems like it just like vanished out of thin air, you know, within the last two years. It's like what. What the fuck happened to just, you know, having a conversation and not getting pissed off? About it's not, a, it's not, it's like longer than that. It's been like yeah. five years, five you know, years, like yeah. plus where it's like, I think, I think it's, it's a lot of the echo chamber stuff and like you're on, you're on your boards, you're on Facebook or you're on, you know, your, your click and Twitter or whatever else, you know, you just stick to that and you hear the, the same information and you, you're, you have a degree of anonymity and, and, Maybe you are angry about something that is maybe directly related or indirectly related, and there's a way to vent. Yeah. But, I, you know, I've had people email me some really cruel messages, but I email back and say, hey, I'm a real human. You know, this stuff actually hurts me. This, I read all of these things, first of all, and, you know, they actually do hurt me. Um, why would you send this? Like, that's kind of my first question to a lot of people that do that. And I've been lucky enough not to have too much crazy hate mail but um it happens i think it happens to every dev that's out there in public um but uh it's you know i think more often than not i've 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 had responses that are just like oh oh okay sorry you know like i think once they realize that you are a human and that you do actually take what they're saying to heart and it's because for a lot of people i think again it's just a way to vent you know, or they don't, I, they don't actually think about the steps beyond like, I just want to write this angry thing and fucking send it, fuck it, you know, but like thinking about the consequences of that and the people that it's actually reaching, 
once you are confronted with that, I think some of your humanity returns. And, uh, you know, the internet allows like this shroud around people that makes them seem less real than they actually are and more of an icon or more of a target, which is super unfortunate because, you know, we're fucking people. Everyone, everyone's a person and we all deserve, you know, some respect and, and basic decency. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everyone deserves that no matter what. Um, but hopefully you're getting more mail saying, Hey, like hyperlight drifter is the fucking shit. I've, I've gotten a lot of great emails. And again, like the, the, the ratio is, is really stacked with like the nice emails for sure. So I, I, but it's all, but you know, like the, the negative stuff always hurts you and it stands out. It's always a thing that like, even if you have like 50 great emails, it's that one email from that guy. I was like, ah, fuck you. And you're just like, ah, damn it. And that's the one you, that's the one you take away. Yeah. You know, that's the one you remember more than anything that day. And you have to really like shrug it off and brush it off. And that can be hard sometimes because, you know, it's like I'm I'm a feeling human being and I'm empathetic and compassionate and, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a robot. So yeah, <laughs> that stuff that stuff gets to me sometimes. But I, I try and shrug it off and at least have a conversation with some of the folks that are just like particularly mean for, and it seems like maybe they have a point. If they're just being mean to be mean, it's like delete the email or ignore it. But if they have something that they're actually harping on and I'm like, okay, well, why is this person so angry? Then I'm open to having a discussion about that stuff. And that can be, that can be enlightening on both sides. I think. Yeah. I'm sure it can lead to healthy discourse that, you know, shows that, you know, these people are going through shit that they're just trying to project on you guys. And, um, and hopefully, you know, all these people can just realize that, you know, just as they are human beings, you guys are human beings as well, putting your all into your heart. So, uh, yeah. Uh, thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. Um, don't want to take too much of your time, but uh, lastly, um, what's next for Heart Machine? Uh, we're going to keep making games. Cool. Making games. So, you know, uh, we'll have stuff to announce at some point when we're ready, basically. Okay. Right on. <laughs> that's, about as, that's about as much as I can say. Hey, right. that's fair. It's not about like, ooh, everything's so secretive. and ooh. It's like, no, I mean we're making things and it will, it's like, we're just not ready to talk about it yet. Cause who yeah. knows what's going to come of it. Yeah. You know, they like, it could change in a few months or whatever else. Like we're, we're definitely working on things. Very cool. Um, well again, thank you very much for um, being willing to come on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, I really enjoyed our conversation where on social media um, can people follow you at or, uh, check out what's going on with heart machine sure on twitter and instagram you can follow at heart machine z with a z on the end of the heart machine like dragon ball z and then we have a facebook page i think it's just slash hyperlight drifter okay um and heartmachine.com so that's uh yeah that's pretty much it all right well uh go check out hyperlight drifter you will not be sorry it is a fantastic game um these guys put their heart and soul into it and you can really see it through their art and um alex again just thank you very much for being willing to come on the show sure thanks for having me
All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Alex Preston from Heart Machine. For all things Armistice Gaming, you can check us out at ArmisticeGaming.com. We have our episodes on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud, as well as some great articles and bios featuring the fracking cag and myself, Trev Bai. We will see you next time. Thank you.